0: I rolled
1: a nine. A nine. Andy, the question we'll be discussing this week is, do you share the plot points and secrets your players missed with your players? Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman.
0: And I'm Andy Rao. Well, Andy, I'm back. Chris, we've missed you. I've yeah. missed you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It hasn't quite been the same uh, without you. Mostly because I've had to do all of the uh, audio editing. Uh, yes.
1: Audio editing. You still had to record the episodes and stuff. Yeah. So I'm I'm back from paternity leave, and I will tell you that despite being back from paternity leave, it turns out I still have a baby. <laughs> so still have all the all the stuff and the responsibilities and things. But I guess I'm a little less tired, maybe, or more used to it now. <laughs>
0: So uh Chris, can you tell us one uh outrageously cute thing that your baby does that like mm-hmm. you think is an amazingly cute story that everyone else will be like, oh, it's just a baby, whatever.
1: Yeah, this is perfect. Um thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about my
0: baby. Yeah. Um
1: and also for limiting me to one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh so uh my my son is two months old and he's trying very hard to talk already. Oh. Um so <laughs> He can kind of say hello right now. Oh, my now. goodness. It's, it's like he just sort of mimics us in tone and sort of, like, the syllables a little bit. But it sounds for it sounds sort of like Hodor. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. It's a little it's a little dopey, but it's really cute. It <laughs> sounds adorable.
0: One. And at yeah. two months, I think you might have some sort of a like genius uh, <laughs> on your no. hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, just want,
1: we just want a normal, healthy... healthy you don't child. want,
0: the like, the Kwisach Hadorach... No, please. Please no. I
1: read the first book and it just did not go well. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, so that is the the one cute story. Yeah, so I think in a couple of weeks, right, when he has some vocabulary, he'll start running a game for us. So let's <laughs> oh, yeah. let's
0: get him booked. But, yeah, get him
1: yeah. booked. Yeah. I did want to ask you a question though, Andy. So my my daughter is getting to the age where she is getting into Legos for the oh, first time. Uh-huh. Like where she's actually can sit down and build something. Um, which is super fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's starting to use her imagination a little bit more with that too, right? Like she'll want to build other stuff, things like that. But we also started telling each other, like well, I started telling her stories about one of her stuffed animals. So like, okay. this is sort of my first, my first step towards like, Hey, let's do some like adventuring sort of thing. So yeah. I, I told her, <laughs> I told her a story about her, um, her stuffed rabbit named Cookie who wanted to go on an adventure and cookie went on an adventure and she lit a fire and she was going to sleep for the night and then a bad a bad rabbit came to try to take her stuff oh. in the middle of the night so my daughter's reaction was well i take it back and then i go inside and never go on another adventure <laughs> okay so she's my the question... bilbo baggins of like yeah, it was it was exactly that unfortunately i'm not gandalf so i cannot force her <laughs> <hand>. <laughs> <laughs> through nefarious means um but yeah so my question to you is like what was the first sort of story or little game that you played with your kids that you felt like really set them on the right path of of wanting to be a giant nerd
0: oh that's a great question and i don't know if i remember it would have been with my daughter who's now a um she's now 12 i had lots of experiences with my daughter of like proto role-playing mm-hmm. sorts of things And I I just genuinely don't remember what the first experience was. But I think it was I used to tell her uh, bedtime stories that I would, you know, kind of make up on the fly. And I would just give her choices at points in those stories. You know, nothing like uh, dice rolling or character sheets or anything like that. But just, you know, choose choose your own adventure type of stuff with real simple choices. And probably around the same time we also started messing around with um taking a couple of board games we had that just had some good like fantasy dungeon tile e type pieces to them Mm -hmm. and uh telling little stories with those having you know just branching choices here and there and i think on that we might have started rolling the dice just Mostly because it's fun to roll the dice, not because <laughs> there is any real need to, like, add up the like, combat <laughs> yes. values or anything yeah. like that. But, yeah. So, yeah, I think it started with um, bedtime stories that uh, had a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure aspect to them. Hmm. Yeah that's good yeah
1: we we also play a game with with the dice right so we have a, a giant kind of bowl that's full of D D dice for lack of a better term um because right again like we're nerds and stuff so she will she invented this game where we basically take a handful of them and we roll them and try to get
0: like matched numbers i promise you there is a commercial game out there somewhere that is exactly that yeah uh, and it costs like 35 dollars yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> probably it's it's
1: not a very fun game but it's good for her like l- reading numbers and things like that <laughs> yeah. but yeah so i need to i need to sort of like blend these uh these stories and then also the dice rolling stuff together <laughs> somehow start weaving them into something
0: yeah at some point the randomness that dice bring really starts can add something fun in the kid's mm-hmm. mind i think yeah not randomness like you succeeded or you failed so much as just what interesting thing is going to happen let's just let's roll and find out instead of deciding yeah. ourselves uh, anyway
1: so we should get, get on to our actual topic Indeed. rather than talking about our
0: kids which is what
1: happens when when dads talk but so. yeah it's it's the worst like we we hate ourselves <laughs> for it but we do it anyway so but you can't you can't help yourself yeah but uh so the topic right that you rolled is uh, about do you share the plot points and secrets with your players miss with your with your players so the thought behind this question i believe is right like so when you have that really good like kind of secret or there's some sort of like cool plot line that your players just did not find or you know didn't go down that path for whatever reason after the session or like you know shortly thereafter do you tell them about it or do you keep it secret
0: it's an interesting question. And like you say, lurking behind this question is that bigger topic of what do you do with all the stuff that doesn't come up in your games, right? So my flippant quick answer to this question was it was no. But Mm -hmm. in the over the last couple of minutes I've been thinking about it and I think that I sometimes do I it's not in any major way but if the players like missed something big whether it was good or bad I do often at when once the game is done and there's no chance of it affecting the game anymore I will say oh by the way if you had gone left you would have run into whatever (laughs) you know the skeleton lich." uh yeah uh, and then we all have a good laugh about it I don't break out my notes, you know, and show them here's the rest of the complex that you didn't explore, yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it is, it is sometimes kind of fun to just let them know, Hey, like your choices, you know, did have actually have a, an impact on what you experienced tonight. And mm-hmm. it's kind of fun.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to th- like, think like, what, like, what is the, so the reason you share is right. Cause you get something out of it too. Right. Like, I don't think the, pl- like, players do want to sort of know, like, all the possibilities, right? They, they would love to just be able to just sort of hit save and rewind <laughs> and kind of keep trying stuff yeah. over and over. But, like, I think, because I, I have the same inclinations too, right? Like, sometimes I just really need to share it. Like, I just have to share it. And it's always, for me, it's not necessarily for the players, right? Because it's, like, that's also, going back to that, like, they can't save, they can't go back, they can't redo that at all. So it's, like, what, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to ask is, like, like so, is that satisfying, like your need as a storyteller to tell tell the players that, or is it you know something else going on?
0: I do have players like players will sometimes ask after a game, what would have mm-hmm. happened if we had turned left, or what if we had, yeah, we had, what if we had uh, taken the job from Mister X instead of from Mister Y? Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's just simple curiosity, or maybe a, a concern that they missed out on something amazingly cool, which is rarely mm-hmm. the case because if it was that amazingly cool, I'll make sure that they you know get a chance <laughs> to experience deep. it but as yeah. for you know what you get out of it for players i think they're you know a little bit of curiosity can be satisfied for gms i don't know i think we all get a little bit of a kick out of being that sort of keeper of secrets mm-hmm. you know i know that modern trends in gaming kind of discourages this idea of the the gm is like the lore master of the game brimming with secrets and knowledge that the player's you know we'll have to pry out of him or her through gameplay but i think in most gems there is that glee that you you know a lot more than the players and yeah. <laughs> it's it's fun to flaunt that a little bit it, in in a fun way not in a mm-hmm. not in a jerk sort of way
1: yeah it's or like so when you read about like, G, like advice to GMs and stuff, a lot of times they'll they'll talk about like, you know, just save all that stuff because you could reuse it later. Right. Like is sort of the the hope is, oh they didn't go left. So you you have you've prepared that side of the dungeon, you can reuse that part of the dungeon later on. So if, I don't find myself doing that a whole lot. Like I don't have this store of like here's half of a dungeon that I could just run whenever is convenient. That's just not exactly how my brain works and stuff. So I think like for me, whenever I want to share, it's like, yeah, like, oh, like, yeah, that, that door that you almost went in, but you decided not to like that had this bugbear behind it or whatever. Yeah. And I think there's, there's something fun about kind of, yeah, dishing out that information exactly as you
0: were saying. So when you prepare a game, and this is a topic we've probably touched on in various ways over past Mm -hmm. episodes, do you prepare in such a way that there is like a pretty reasonable chance that your players will miss a lot of what you prepared? Do you prepare just the stuff that you're quite certain the PCs are going to experience? How frequently does it happen that the PCs like just miss a big part of the experience because of a choice they made? That's a good question. I would say
1: I tend to prepare sort of just the material that I think they're going to go go over. So it's pretty rare for them to miss, say, like, yeah, an entire wing of the dungeon. Although it certainly happened. I think I try to steer them towards seeing the cool stuff <laughs> that, that they should. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if there's something that's in that sort of the dungeon that like w- was worth it for them to go see, I would try to either move it or otherwise sort of push them towards, hey, maybe you should go back and re-explore explore this this um this part of the the dungeon and not like a like oh you you missed that part right <laughs> like it's yeah a little bit more subtle than that i think um because right like you do like if you if there is some sort of cool sword that you left for a particular player in that dungeon like it'd be a shame for them to miss it right like i mean of course yes that sword could show up somewhere else and all that but like i don't I don't get a lot of pleasure, a lot of pleasure out of like, yeah, there's all these secret things that they missed, right? Like when I play video games, if there's secret rooms in those video games, I want to find them. I don't want to find out later that, oh, I missed 50% of the game, (laughs) 50% of the the secrets and stuff.
0: You know, one thing that affects this when you run mostly games that only run for maybe two or three hours, which is, Mm -hmm. I guess, pretty typical of me at this point in my GMing life is that when you only have two hours, let's say you have two hours to play. Games aren't usually super fast moving, like in a typical game session, PCs don't, in two hours, that's not a lot of time to cover a huge amount of real estate. So Mm -hmm. I find that it really isn't often like a problem for me to see what's coming. You know, when you're, when I'm preparing two hours with a material, that's not really that much space. You know, it's a pretty small area of, say, a dungeon, even if the dungeon itself is very large. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty rare that I spend like hours and hours pre- you know preparing the section of the dungeon that they never get to because the way it works out is I'll see which area of the dungeon they're heading towards or what they're expressing interest in and then you know for the next game I'll I will prepare in anticipation of the hints that they've already given me about what they want to do or the direction they want to go. So mm-hmm. I honestly don't often find that there is uh, you know a huge amount of info that they haven't seen or experienced.
1: As a player, have you ever had the GM kind of tell you what you missed?
0: I can't think of any specific examples, but I'm sure I've been in that spot of saying, oh, hey, mm-hmm. what was uh, what was up with that one guy that we mm-hmm. didn't pay much attention to? Or, you know, yeah. there's just this, this really small scenes. Nothing yeah. too huge, I don't think.
1: You? Um, yeah, similar. Right. Like, I think um, my expectation is sort of like the GM is, is is trying to lead us through a story somewhat. Right. So, like, if something didn't come up, then it's fine. It didn't come up. Um, right. I, I could see if I was more of a completionist about <laughs> D D or whatever, right. It would be a little bit more like, Oh, like, yeah, I'd have kind of a laundry list of questions about what could have been. I did, I played in a, like sort of a hex crawl that Kyle Latino, former guest, um, or yeah, who has been on the, the show a couple of times that he ran. And that was really interesting in that, like, there was just so much, potential information that could have happened in that game because it it was a very expansive map and we moved pretty quickly from location to location and he was just rolling on a bunch of tables to generate most of the storyline and so that was an interesting experience and that like any of the questions that we would have had for him along the lines of like, oh, like what, you know, like what did we miss? It was like, well, let's all decide what we missed, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that was sort of the yeah. the, the tactic or the, the the route that that would have taken because there was there was just like this huge possibility space in that game. Yeah, so it makes me sort of wonder if this if this question, like, how would it be different for you know, like if you're running like a mega dungeon right like or you know sort of a different kind of campaign other than sort of a narrative based one yeah. so if you were running a mega dungeon right like where you are naturally sort of coming up with a ton of different levels or you know you're preparing a bunch of different levels because they could be going all sorts of other places like the thought with those is that you are going to miss a huge chunk of it right yeah. like yeah and so in that scenario then you know like would you agree like do you think that you maybe do your players a disservice if you if you tell them the things that they miss, because then they can never really experience that, that part of it if they ever go back.
0: Yeah, those are all interesting points. While you were talking, I kind of wish that John uh, Corey were here, because I would like to ask him this question in the context of like his Dungeon World campaigns mm-hmm. that he runs, which are, uh, which I think he, he ad libs to a pretty high degree. and. Mm-hmm. And I do think that one cost of games that that rely on the GM and the players ad-libbing or being creative together on the fly to figure stuff out is you don't have that sense that you did in like, say, uh, first edition AD&D Mega Dungeon, which is this is like a big world full of secrets that it's on us to see if we can to see how many of them we can uncover. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that that isn't compensated for in other ways in these in games like Dungeon World and stuff like that. You know, I, I feel like in a lot of games today, you might collaborate with the players to figure out what some of these kind of secrets are. And I, I think that there is a certain appeal, though, in that like the the secret is is like set in stone what it is and how you do it and the mm-hmm. and the is for you to figure out the key to get to it. It's been a while since we've brought up uh, Dark Souls, the video game, so I'm going to do it here. I've been (laughs) replaying uh, Dark Souls 3 recently, and Mm -hmm. that is a game uh, that in a kind of role-playing sense is very full of secrets that you can miss, Mm -hmm. and knowing that the world is full of secrets when you enter a new area in that game, you know it's full of secrets and hidden treasures and monsters and traps and you also know you are highly unlikely to uncover most uh, mm-hmm. or even a good percentage of them you know on your first run through and that that is a thrilling feel that mm-hmm. there's all this stuff for me to uncover but i could miss it and i probably will miss it mm-hmm. and i think that can be a fun thing to aim for in a role playing game as well just just you and your players on the same page like look there's this big you know, it's a mega dungeon or whatever. It's we've got this big puzzle environment for you. There's all sorts of great stuff. I'm not going to give you all the great stuff and you might miss some of it. So let's Mm -hmm. just have fun seeing what you are able to uncover. And that's something I haven't really experienced in a role-playing game in a while, but it does make me think of early dungeons, like when I was a kid running first edition, stuff like that. It had a little bit Mm -hmm. more of that sense.
1: Yeah. Like as you're, you're talking about that, right. Cause like, I also love dark souls. Like, I mean the, the way that game sort of interconnects back in into itself is really fascinating because it's these, these sort of like paths and things like that that you could just miss entirely. Right. And get through the game. And then maybe someone tells you about it later or yeah, you run across it in a second playthrough. You're like, Oh my goodness. How did I miss that? Those sorts of things. And that's like, I, I genuinely enjoy that. And I can't say that I experienced that a ton at the table Yeah, it's, like, I'm thinking about, like, if you were to run a dungeon in which the the, sort of the critical path could be sort of two rooms, right? Like, you go in and you, like, get the thing and you get out. And, like, it's it's no big deal. But if there is, if you took, you know, a right instead of a left, if there ends up being, like, a mega dungeon, right? Like, if it just goes down for, like, five or six floors and stuff like that and your players just completely miss it, it would be almost impossible not to tell them that they missed it, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, it would take a just a, a massive amount of self-control not to be like, oh, and there was a whole thing that I had prepared down there that you'll just never get to see, right? Because, like, I, yeah, there's a sort of idealized version, I think, of D&D where there is sort of this, like, yeah, all these things that are sort of written down in the GM's notebook and things like that. And if you... You know, if you don't encounter them, you don't encounter them. But like, as we said just a little bit earlier, right? Like, if you miss that whole five or six level dungeon, right, that's gonna show up somewhere else because if you prepared it, you know, yeah. you're, you're probably gonna reuse it um, somewhere. But at the same time, like, like imagine as a player, like if as players, if you stumbled across that, yeah. um, you know, sort of seemingly by accident or because you made some sort of intuitive leap, if you discovered that that sort of thing, like that would be amazing. Yeah, you know, like an amazing feeling. To feel like you sort of cracked
0: it, right? Exactly. And I think there is a unique thrill. If your players know that you will not hand feed them stuff that they don't figure out on their own, mm-hmm. then they deserve to feel excited and thrilled when they do find whatever that is, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've noticed while we've been talking, we one reason, you know, that we would uh, share these sorts of secrets, like you say, is because... We really don't anticipate that the, the players could ever come back and and have a chance to, to experience it again. Mm-hmm. And I just I get the sense it's how most people run D D these days. You know, certainly how I run it. You know, we do an adventure mm-hmm. for for a couple sessions and we move on to the next. I mean and we're never really gonna we're never gonna go back to like the dungeon we cleared, you know, mm-hmm. months ago. I think there are versions of this hobby in which Players do go back; they retread ground that has been kind of explored. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that's a little bit of a an old school thing. You know, if if one group goes through the Temple of Elemental Evil, it's this huge complex; they'll miss a lot of it just because it's so big. You know, maybe the same group will go through it again later with new characters Mm -hmm. or the same characters. I don't think that's how most campaigns are run. But when you are, I mean, it's safe to share secrets. You know when. You're quite certain that you'll never be re- revisiting this, but making talking about this makes me kind of pine for a <laughs> setting that is big enough and interesting enough and compelling enough that players will want to stick around or return to it when they get a chance to maybe yeah. dig further into whatever it is that they missed. You know?
1: Yeah, it's sort of. I think like every GM has the dream of of running running that same dungeon like 50 years apart or something yeah, like yeah it's yeah. yeah, something along those lines or having yeah two groups and like one group is affecting what's happening you know with the other group and, and back and forth um and i think there, there's like some complexity to pulling that off but also does sound like a fun challenge yeah i ran you know lost minds of Fandelver over the course of like a year right a couple years ago or so like so i i took like i milked that campaign Completely, you know, like yeah. from, from top to bottom. You like got the,
0: your money's worth out of that yeah. box set. Oh my yeah. goodness! Like.
1: Yeah, I think like wizards should probably um, ask me to send them more money based on <laughs> yes, know, what I yes. got out of that. You know, but like I'm thinking about like how fun would it be to pick up that campaign, like in in real world time, like a decade from now, with the same group of people, like enough that they've sort of forgotten maybe some of the details. Right. And like just reuse maybe the same setting, you know, like in some way. And it's like all those same locations are still there. Right. But everything's sort of shifted over the years. Right. Because like I think that could be that could be really fun. Right. And then and then you would have a chance to sort of revisit some of those things. Um, that maybe they missed or, you know, or, or looked over or, um, or to like, let them sort of expo- explore the ramifications of, of you know, what they did. That could be really fun. That's a really great long-term project. Uh, but it would take, again, quite a bit of self-control for you to not, like, give it away in <laughs> the yeah. intervening years, right? Or like, you know, right afterwards, like, oh, like, and yeah, if you come back later, like, this has happened <laughs> to
0: it. Have you ever, this is going a little off topic, but have have you ever thought about seriously thought about running the same adventure a second time for people that already went through it? And I don't mean overhaul it so it's all different. I mean mm-hmm. let's run we had fun with my Lost Minds of Fandelver, let's do it again.
1: Yeah, I've I've had that thought. I think that I would personally enjoy it. I don't know if the players would as much, but I could be wrong, right? Like I guess I've never tried it. Have you? Have <laughs> you
0: I have you I thought about this? No, I have not. I have not. I have thought about it. I've thought about what it would take to make that fun. And I haven't figured out what would make <laughs> that fun for everyone. So I haven't done it. I've yeah. certainly run the same adventure for different groups. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, many times. But I am a little intrigued by this idea. It's been on my mind recently. Because I've been reading through the newly, the new edition of the enemy within campaign for the warhammer role-playing game Mm -hmm. this was a this is a a famous role-playing campaign It's a series of adventures that came out i don't know i think in like the 80s i missed it when it came out but i have for decades i've heard oh enemy within one of the great campaigns and in the new edition it's full of these sidebars that are like basically if you ran this in the 80s and are running it now here's some suggestions for like shaking it up a little bit in case your characters remember (laughs) in case your players remember like who was the bad guy, you know, and that sort of thing. And and it's got all these, it's full of, it's a campaign that's full of secrets and plots that if, if you did know who was actually behind it the whole time, it would kill, you know, Mm -hmm. that has a high chance of killing the fun of the adventure. So that, you know, that is kind of an unusual and unique situation, (laughs) but it did make me think, if we had a blast with something, you know, Mm -hmm. is there a way to, to play it again? Like, you know, is there a way to play it again and focus on the stuff we missed in the way that if I played Dark Souls again for like the eighth time, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm looking in the parts of the game that I bypassed in my earlier playthroughs. Right. Uh, So I think, you know, on a practical level, probably not. And I don't really think I'm ever going to do that but mm-hmm. it is an interesting kind of abstract idea to consider.
1: <laughs> yeah. It would be, it'd be tough. I mean, like we certainly watch movies again and again and like read books over and over and over. Like, so there's absolutely precedent for consuming the same media, even when you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Um. Right. Like, and with, even with a D and D, you know, or like a, yeah, maybe sort of role playing, you know, tabletop role playing adventure. It's going to be different just because like, you'll forget an accent, right. Or like, or you'll have to say something else you're not like reading off of a script so it's, it's going to naturally be different even if sort of the general plot is the same but like yeah i don't know i mean now i want to try it <laughs> like this is
0: an infectious idea on the one hand it sounds like it should work right because there's yeah. so much randomness built into like a D game there's no mm-hmm. randomness when you watch you know, Fellowship of the Ring for the 13th Mm -hmm. time. There's no randomness, right? And we've both done that. Let's just admit it. Uh, (laughs) You know, even if the players are mostly reprising the same roles they did on the first run through, you know, the dice are just going to go differently Mm -hmm. and dice rolls are going to have these butterfly effects on the whole direction of the campaign. So you would think that it would be satisfying, but like in practice, I feel like it probably wouldn't, It, it would be a struggle, but... I don't
1: know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I mean, because it's sort of like the basic nature, I think, of of D&D and like D&D in particular, right, has this this high level of like tactical combat to it, where I think if you if you remember like, oh, in this room, there's going to be four goblins, right? Like you can sort of prepare more than you you would have the first time you stumbled in there. Yeah. Right. So then it turns into a bit of a speed run at that point. But I mean, like, there's probably ways to just subtly change it. But then at that point, it's like, then why are you running the same thing again? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting idea, though.
0: So why, why, when you play Dark Souls, you know that in the next room, when you're playing Dark Souls for the third time, you know mm-hmm. in the next room there's whatever, there's four archers and a goblin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why does that not affect your enjoyment at all? But... Like I think we both have the sense that if the D and D group knew that in that room there's foragers and a goblin, it would seem to lose something. Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, uh, that's super fascinating. It's like if you if you know know all of that ahead of time, most D and D parties will sit there and like optimize their strategy so much beforehand, which is fun for them. <laughs> I don't right. know if it's fun for the GM. <laughs> What's fun fun when you're a player to like sort of sit there and optimize your strategy. I think you just end up doing that from room to room. Right. Like going back to the original topic, right? Like we're talking about secrets and stuff like that. Like right. there is there is something about the fact that you don't just hand the players the source book that you're reading when you're preparing. Like there's something there about the asymmetry of information that like sort of makes the hobby tick, right? Like, yeah. you know, like, so if, if everybody has the same exact information, it's like, well then like, what do you, what do you lose? Right. Like you lose some of that like tactical ability of surprise, you know, of positioning and, and things like that. You sort of lose the the thought that like maybe the motivations or something they have to tease out and things like that. Like they could just go and look up that, that information in the book. It's like, well then, you know, what, like, what are we doing here? Right. Like you're, like, you're just sort of, yeah. you're like play acting it, like a movie at that point or something, but even that, I mean, like theater yeah. is fun and for people.
0: <laughs> or a yeah. board game, you know. I mean, you're yeah, it, it you're doing something and it might be fun, mm-hmm. but it it does feel like we have there's been sort of a ground change in what we're doing. You know, it doesn't yeah. feel like D and D exactly anymore.
1: I think it would be it would almost be more disconcerting if you were to replay it, but if you if you subtly change things, or right, so there's five goblins instead of four. Like, I think for the, the players, it would be like, it'd be more shocking than had they just walked in and not known that there was anything in there. It's <laughs> like they have this, this sort of notion of, oh, this is what I'm going to see in this room, you know, like, because I know this is what I'm going to see in this room, but then it's not that. Yeah, this really, really makes me want to r- run the same one shot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a couple I times. I do too. I'm, With I'm... the same group of people.
0: I'm incredibly curious now. I mean, if you're listening and you have done this, please tell us. Like, I just would love to hear about someone. If you ran the same thing for the same group (laughs) and you didn't meaningfully change it up, like, please tell me how it went. There's no chance I'm going to, like, waste one of my precious gaming opportunities (laughs) this year on a weird experiment that might not be fun. But I would. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does also make me wonder, like, yeah, like if. So if that turns out to be fun then like why not just hand everybody the, the books yeah you know at the, ahead of time but yeah I don't know it's it's really interesting like yeah you, you've you completely taken this topic and like and <laughs> made me think about like what if there just are no more secrets right, <laughs> right. like what about this Chris you know like, take your question
0: yeah you know to bring it back around though uh, there is something intangible but undeniable about the appeal for me as a game master, of those secrets. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's why I, and I'm going to project out, and I'm going to say a lot of GMs. I mean, I love reading game books. I love reading Mm -hmm. adventures. I like knowing this stuff. Mm -hmm. I like getting to see all of the hidden stuff. And I think that that secrets is important to me and is one reason I'm still running, you know, D&D and not, I don't know, not something like Dungeon World that just doesn't have the interest in like in established secrets you know um and mm-hmm. not bagging on anyone's playstyle style in any way or perform john if you're listening yeah. and you're like <laughs> writing me an angry email i i, I deserve it <laughs> but uh, yeah i don't know i do think that um secrets and gm knowledge is something special is like just something kind of unique about this social activity we call role playing and i mm-hmm. think that you can you can mess around with it you can either even take it out and have a perfectly awesome role playing game but i think that that is a is an interesting thing that is a part of the appeal of this whole hobby to me
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's a, it's a hobby built on lies and secrets. <laughs> exactly uh, all right well we should wrap up there we've been, we've been going a little bit um yeah this is this was a really fascinating conversation i was I was a little like skeptical at the beginning but turns out <laughs> talk about something long enough and we'll We'll make it like into a uh, a grand experiment. Yeah,
0: this <laughs> so. this is a topic where I, I just have this strong feeling that we that talking to different GMs would get you a variety of interesting yeah. answers. There have been several topics we've discussed that I kind of want to like put them on the back burner and and spring them on like a future guest. Not right. not to like rehash the same conversation. But because I have a feeling that the other GMs out there would would have a different take on this. And I, you know, I can easily see it. I can easily see different GMs like having a radically different answer to this question. So, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah.
1: And probably like a fiery opinion on it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so one one sort of totally unrelated thing that I wanted to bring up. So I just I put an order in for the cyberpunk um red jumpstart oh
0: fantastic
1: yeah yeah so it should be here pretty soon probably in a week or so and just to Um, recap
0: for listeners this is because you are planning a cyberpunk campaign yes in the in the pretty near future
1: yeah as soon as i can you know get time and energy to do so so i've been saying like in 2021 at this point yeah but i don't know i might push and try to just like do it so i don't sit there and um stew on ideas too much but yeah, it's uh so I'm I'm really interested in running that. And then um I was reading someone had shared an essay that um the the creator of Cyberpunk had written just about sort of like police brutality and stuff. Um and it, it was it was a really good essay, and like I started looking up um this this Mike Pondsmith? yeah is that his name yep yeah, I just started reading a little bit more about him, and he seemed like a, just a cool dude. so I decided like rather than trying to hack together my own system, like let's just use use the one that he's writing because he he's thought about this a lot more than I yeah. have. yeah, so I'm excited for that to come in, and then we'll see like I don't think it's it's I don't think it's a super long sort of campaign at all, but I want to run that and then um, kind of take it from there and see see if I can run something something else some sort of long cyberpunk campaign
0: so i a couple things in reaction to that first of all yeah Mm -hmm. i just through the the quirk of history i have not really interacted much with any uh games by uh mike pondsmith's company and a lot of them Mm -hmm. look very cool but just circumstances have gone such that that's like one company i really know very little about their games but i do know that um mr pondsmith is super well regarded in the hobby Mm -hmm. as a really standout individual Secondly, I would be really interested and I want to invite you to think about maybe um, dedicating a little bit of time on future episodes of this show to talk a little bit about your planning and what you're thinking. Mm. And I realize that you may have some players listening, so we don't need to go to like spoiler level stuff. But I would be interested, um, especially because I know that when you got the idea for this campaign, you ordered like five amazing looking cyberpunk-ish role-playing games any any one of which would like be a big great campaign in its own and i just would love to see what you end up pulling together from this stuff and maybe if you're running cyberpunk red or whatever the title of it is maybe you'll just content yourself just with that but part of me is kind of hoping you're at least going to flip through some of those other books and be like oh yeah that's got to be in in this (laughs) uh you know and i would i would just like to hear you talk about that so give us some thought oh, as, yeah. as you prepare um about what might be interesting um yeah fits to share so for sure
1: yeah um if you are listening and um you are a a, a former player of mine in any other campaign uh, reach out because I, I am looking for players to yeah it'll probably be online because right everything has to be these days yeah but yeah yeah i've got a lot of thoughts about cyberpunk it is to me it's one of the more compelling genres because it is so it can get so dang goofy <laughs> like yeah yeah it's just like this i don't know i just i really love the idea of sort of like technology taking over sort of everything in some way because right? it's just like it history is not born out that way like right like we we all thought by 2020 we'd be just jacked in 100 percent of the time it's like turns out that's terrible so a lot of people don't
0: do that <laughs> yes <laughs> right <laughs> uh yeah the when i think about cyberpunk there's something about cyberpunk just the setting so I love William Gibson. I've you know, I've read mm-hmm. all of his novels, I've, and i and I just absolutely love Neuromancer and its his follow ups and I like there's something magical about a Gibson esque cyberpunk setting in that it it would just be a nightmare to live in. Just the worst, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but reading these books, like if if you were to say, Andy, pick a fictional world to live in, I would be like, Oh my goodness, like yeah. uh, William Gibson's <laughs> like <laughs> the cyber sprawl like I mean it would just it would be awful but but yeah. uh, what a fascinating what like an incredibly full and interesting setting cyberpunk yeah. at least has the potential to offer right oh
1: my goodness yeah Um, so Andy if you were in that <laughs> that setting do you think you'd be one of the super like ultra rich like transhumanists or do you think you would be one of like the
0: low-level junkies on the street oh i mean so in reality i would be one of like the wage slaves that like that work for like a megacorp and and, like live in like megacorp owned housing and you spend (laughs) megacorp bucks to like buy food from the megacorp food mall yeah but uh uh oh i don't know um I mean, I think that I so I love the transhumanist stuff that you get in some mm-hmm. uh, cyberpunk. But I mean, there's just something about that, like, you know, console cowboy, yeah. like uh, stereotype that I just love. So I've got to say, I, you know, in my idealized Andy would be out would be on the streets, uh, you know, like, hacking, <laughs> hacking into stuff for for food. We'll work for we'll hack for food and like, you know, stick, stick it to the man sort of. Uh, yes.
1: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh okay, all right. Well we should wrap it up there. We're both gonna go to bed thinking about um hacking the mega corpse, but <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's good. <laughs> that's good. All right, well thank you so much. Um I have been Chris salsman
0: I have been Andy Rao. This has been Roll for Topic,
1: and remember if your players are having fun, you're a great GM.
0: Oh, and hey, uh you listeners will never know all of the amazing stuff on this podcast that we never <laughs> shared with you.
1: Yes. <laughs>